0: morning, today we are going to look at two chapters, and don't worry, I'm not going to cover verse by verse two chapters, especially one chapter that's got the 60 verses in it. <laughs> We're going to do some uh, looking at these chapters, though, as we talk about slaying the giant of religion. We're going to look at a guy by the name of Stephen uh, to give us some insight and in how to face this giant. We've looked at different giants who keep us from entering into that promised land, that place where God wants us to be in serving him. And certainly religion is one of those giants where we're more worried about following the rules than the relationship with the Father and with his people. And the two are totally different. But I think for our reading, though, chapter 6, I encourage you to stand. I'm going to read the first five verses. Acts 6, in those days when the number of disciples was increasing, the Grecian Jews among them complained against those of the Aramaic-speaking community because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, It would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom, We will turn this responsibility over to them and we'll give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. This proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. God, thank you. Sometimes we look around us, Lord, and we're looking for you. And then we see that person who's full of you. There there you are, Lord. We all know those people. Thank you for those people. Make me one of those people. Make each of us one of those people. (laughs) That we may not just be merely religious. Coming out of a bound duty. but Coming because we've been changed. Coming because we've fallen in love with the one who deeply has loved us before we were even born and continues to do so now and carries us until we're in eternity. God, keep us from just being religious, from just being rule followers. Move within us, Lord, where we may be your people, called of you, full of you, serving you. Father, you... It's the attention, the focus. So just guide us in this time that remains. Father, as we look at the example of this guy named Stephen, uh, Lord, uh, may we be well, at least a portion of that, Lord. In your name we pray, amen. The story is told of a preacher who was preaching out of Genesis 28, and that's the section of Scripture that it talks about. Jacob's ladder, you know, going up and down the ladder. And so anyway, the preacher's son had listened to that sermon. Then he spoke to his dad about it a few days later. He said, Dad, I, I've been thinking about that sermon you preached about the ladder. He said, Quite honestly, I had a dream about that ladder. He said, at the bottom of the ladder, there was pieces of chalk. And as people would go up the ladder, On each step of the ladder, they would mark with chalk representing their sins. There would be a mark for each sin, and then they'd climb up the next rung. He said, Well, he said, I started climbing up that ladder and, you know, putting my marks on the rungs. He said, All of a sudden, I saw you coming down that ladder. The preacher said, Coming down the ladder? Why would I be coming down the ladder, son? He said, get more chalk. <laughs> See, the problem is, with simply following rules, with simply being bound by God's going to love me if I do this or if I do that or if I don't do this. It is a love that is based on how good we are. But that is not the deep, deep love of God. Following God is not like going up a ladder and keeping constant track of each little sin and making sure that I constantly confess my sins in order for God to forgive me. And if I happen to miss a sin, in some way I'm doomed or God is going to hold his love back from me. Matter of fact, it's interesting as you look in the New Testament, there's a number of times that religious people are mentioned and quite honestly... It's usually in a negative way. The people who are the most religious are the ones that seem to be most at odds with the Lord Jesus Christ. In the book of James, which is, you know, that hands-on, overalls type of faith book, you get to the end of chapter 1, and the last two verses, if anyone considers himself religious and yet does not keep a tight rein on his tongue, he deceives himself, and his religion is worthless. In other words, don't be a talk-it-all, know-it-all, or do-it-all, but let God be your all. If we let our words run rampant. Man, our faith is worthless. That's how it's described. But the next verse says, Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this to look after orphans and widows and their distress, and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. And that comes only by a day-to-day walk with a living God, filled with the Spirit of God, set free by the Son of God, who is at work within our hearts. The scribes and the Pharisees... <laughs> Man, they were all about image. They were all about being seen by the people around them. But they didn't seem to really think about the God above them who has been watching the whole time. There's been a lot of pain that has come out of some of the most religious people. In Ireland for years, there's been the Catholic and the Protestant wars where people's lives were snuffed out because of disagreements regarding how to worship God. Relationships torn asunder. Of course, the Twin Towers 20 years ago that resulted from deeply religious people that led them to hate us to the point where there was that devastation in New York City. Pictures of ISIS beheading the non-believers in Islam. And the story goes on. But guys, our call is not to be better than everybody that's around us and to be hyper, super religious. It's to be forgiven. It's to pass that word that we don't have to pretend to be good, but that we can be made good by being forgiven in Jesus Christ, our awesome Lord. It tells us in John 1, verse 12, Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. So at the moment, we humble ourselves and say, God, I am not able to do this. He says, now you're ready to do it. To come to me and find forgiveness and to find new life and to enter into my family. And I want to briefly look here at some truths from Stephen's life. And the first one I want to look at here is that he was spiritually equipped. You noticed our first couple of verses, there was a dispute. Dispute in the church. A church fight. Like that never happens, right? I'm being a little sarcastic. Of course, churches go through their tough times. And, you know, churches are families. And sometimes families have their squabbles, for sure. And this was a squabble. We said, hey, our widows are not getting the attention they're supposed to get. And so the fight broke out. And they said, let's designate. Some guys who walk with the Lord to take care of this issue. And so we read in verse 3 about this. They said, Brothers, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the Spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and we'll give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the Word. And our guy is mentioned, he's the first one mentioned as being chosen in this select group of men. It says, this proposal, verse 5, this proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. So here's the deal. Here's a guy that's full of trust in God Walking day by day by faith. We're told in 2 Corinthians 5, 7, we live by faith, not by sight. And he's full of the Spirit, which means his desire is to be in constant connection with the Father and to live out that faith. Not to just talk about it with, you know, empty words, but a real faith that lives here and sees people who are broken and hurting and loves God and loves them. And that is Stephen, first guy mentioned on the list. And I was thinking, there are so many people, and you know them too, so many people through my life and through my privilege of being able to serve God's people that I have loved. So many examples of people that walked with Jesus. As they say, Jesus was skin on. I was, uh, it just hit me, I was thinking before I came up here to preach, there was a guy in one church that we served. Um, sometimes it's hard to find guys that will actually go out with you and you know talk to others about Jesus because we all freak out, we get scared to death. And there was this one guy, Skylar Davis. Skylar, he'd call me, "Let's go see somebody." So he'd tag along, with, or I'd tag along with him, maybe. But anyway, we'd go together. And uh, I hadn't thought about Skylar in years, but it just came to me as I thought about Skylar. And one day his wife called me and said, Skylar can't go. I said, What's wrong? Well, I haven't told you, but he's been suffering from dementia and it's got to the point now where he won't leave the <coughs> house. What a guy. We never know what's going on in people's lives. But Skylar was just Skylar. But Schuyler who loved Jesus. And we all have a name we can put there, right? A guy that we know. A guy the church knows. A guy that has a genuine, real relationship with the living God. And this is Stephen. And he was spiritually equipped. He, he walked with God. And, and that's, that's what is so critically needed. And that, that's Stephen. Um, secondly, we read about him that he was spiritually adept. We notice uh, here as you go down through Acts chapter 6 that they tried to smear Stephen, his opponents. Uh, They were angry at the fact that he was so loved because of his walk with the living Christ. And so they, look at verse 11, it says, they secretly persuaded some men to say, We've heard Stephen speak words of blasphemy against Moses and against God. The problem is it was fake news. It didn't happen. It says, verse 12, They stirred up the people and the elders and the teachers of the law. They seized Stephen and brought him before the Sanhedrin. They produced false witnesses. Not only false news, false witnesses. that are giving more fake news. They're causing more problems with their lies against this guy who walked with the Lord, who was being persecuted because he lived a godly life in Christ Jesus, like it says in 2 Peter. Uh, That that was this guy. And he was a guy that goes into chapter 7, and to be honest with you guys, chapter 7, 60 verses, what makes it so long is because he was asked a question in verse 1. And then he goes into a long sermon. It's scary to ask a preacher a question. Because you don't know what's coming next. And what came next was this answer that resulted in a long sermon. Look at verse 1. He says, the high priest asked him, are these charges true? And here he goes to preaching. To let them know exactly what the answer is. Would be as a result of that. Man, he let it fly, and here's a guy. I want to make these points about religion. Religion emphasizes what you can't do, where the gospel emphasizes what you can do. It says Philippians four um, thirteen. So many of us have quoted that through the years that have walked with the Lord the Lord for a time. You know, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. I love the way it says it in the Amplified. He says, I am ready for anything and equal to anything through him who infuses inner strength into me. I am self-sufficient in Christ's sufficiency. You see, in Christ, it's not a matter of you can't do this. It's a matter of you can do this through the power of Christ. Man, if there's anybody that should be optimistic, it should be the people of God. Because of what God can do through us. It shouldn't always be negative. You know, we shouldn't be like those who say, I don't smoke, I don't chew, and I don't date girls who do. No, it's not. It's it's not about, don't break the rules. It's about, God, where are you in our lives? You see, the religious people, they come to church and they think, okay, I can check this off now. God's not going to smack me or, or give me a spanking he's going to love me because I came to church and I fulfilled this duty. But they don't find God there. The music doesn't minister to them. The preaching doesn't touch their hearts. Being with the people of God doesn't impact them. They just come and they sit and they sour and then they leave and they say, I oh, checked that off and God's okay with me now. Religion sets up barriers. I'm good. You're not. I come to church. You don't. I give to the church, you don't. I help the little old ladies cross the street. you don't what whatever it is. you set up those barriers to set you apart, but what we realize with a relationship with Christ is that those barriers have been removed by way of the cross. I love that that all ground is level at the foot of the cross. Jesus Christ doesn't look at the things that separate us, but he brings us all together through that work in Christ. In Colossians 3.11, he says, Here there is no Greek or Jew, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is in all. All of us. He brings us together. He takes down those barriers, and he frees us." The religious guy, Jesus tells a parable about him, who he beats his breast, and he prays, and he says, Thank you, God, I am not like that tax collector, dude. I tithe, boy do I tithe, and boy do I give to you, and oh, how I love you, but not that guy, I'm not like him. <laughs> and then it says the tax collector, he just beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. One guy had religion, the other guy you God. He was doing business as he went directly to the Lord. You see, religious people talk about what they're going to do. But those of us who know Jesus talk about what he's done. What he's accomplished. Here's one quote from a commentator. It said, Religion's man made. The gospel's God given. Religion is about what God does for God. The gospel's about what God does for man. Religion is good views. The gospel's good news. Religion ends in outer reformation. The gospel ends in inner transformation. Religion can become a farce. The gospel is always a force. And in fact, the force that Paul spoke about is the power of God unto salvation for everyone who believes. Now, getting into this next one, he was scripturally adept. When you begin to look at this sermon that he preaches that is recorded here in Acts chapter 7. He's going back through the history of how God moved through the different leaders in Israel. He starts there referring to Genesis chapter 12 as he talks about Abraham. And then he mentions the different patriarchs where God was present. In other words, this rascal Stephen knew the scriptures. He loved the scriptures. He had studied the scriptures. He knew by heart how God had moved in those before him. And he shared the history of God's presence among his people in this message that God is at work. That God is moving. And he shared with power. And God moved through his words. And then, um, as you get down to the verse 48, which you get near the end of his sermon that he's preaching, we discover this truth. He says, However, the Most High does not live in houses made by men. You see, when they brought these charges against Stephen, they said, This man has been preaching against this holy place. Men, they were more caught up in the place that they were meeting. They were more caught up in the religion and the ritual of what happened in the place where they were meeting. But they were really not tuned into the living God. And they really didn't care about the people who were in the place that was holy. That those people needed to be made holy. That those people needed forgiveness. That those people needed a genuine encounter with God. They were more focused on the place than the people. They were more focused on the ritual than the relationship that God desired for them to have. Matter of fact, he he goes on after that and he tells us in the next verse, Heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. What kind of house will you build for me? What he was saying is it's not about the greatness of this temple. It's about the greatness of God and his plan. It's not about rules. It's about relationships. It's not about property. It's about people. It's not about the greatness of this place or the greatness of how we do church, but the greatness of our God, his glory, his greatness, his greatness. He was giving an answer to that question. And guys, that's still a call that we have. To a world that doesn't understand us. You think, what do they mean? They are crazy. I think of that 1 Corinthians 1.18. It says, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. So you think, man, those guys are just kind of... Shoo. Be prepared to give an answer, as it says in 1 Peter 3.15. Your heart's set apart for Christ ready to share the truth of the gospel, that wonderful good news. Now, let me move on here. He was also skillfully direct. Look at verse 51 of Acts chapter (laughs) 7. This is not a way to make friends and influence people. He says, You stiff-necked people with uncircumcised hearts and ears, you are just like your fathers. You always resist the Holy Spirit. Man, he was direct. He pulled the kid gloves off. You guys have been exposed to the scriptures. You guys are aware of how God has moved and freed our ancestors. How he was with them. And just like they were stiff-necked, just like they would not listen to God, what goes around comes around and you're pulling the same junk. You're stiff-necked. You won't listen. You won't hear. And it's a picture of the farmer who has the ox and the ox is stubborn and won't pull the plow and won't do the work. And he's saying, you guys will not listen to God. You do everything to shut your ears and your hearts to the living God where you should be listening. Charles Haddon Spurgeon said it this way. He takes the sharp knife of the word of God and rips up the sins of the people laying open the inward parts of their hearts and secrets of their soul. And I think the reason he does this, at religious people are notorious for feeling like I'm a good person. I don't need anything. My sister's closest friend, I remember one time uh, trying to talk uh, to my mom about, about sin. And we're all sinners. And talking about uh, my sister's friend Sue Bell, oh Sue's such a good person. She's too good to see. It. What? That's crazy talk. Man, we are all screwed up. There's a verse in Ecclesiastes I've been working on, and it says, "When God created us, you know, He created us to serve Him. But now we've got twisted minds. Man, things are twisted. Hey, oh." Open your eyes, look around, things are messed up. And that's because people are messed up. That's because we need the Lord. And these people were They were stiff-necked. They didn't want to listen. John the Baptist told it like it was, and so did Jesus. I want to read to you just some of this from uh, Matthew 23 as Jesus approached these religious people, these Pharisees and teachers. He says, this is starting at verse 25 through 28, I'm going to read. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they're full of greed and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and dish, and then the outside also will be clean. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You are like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of the bones of the dead and everything unclean. In the same way, on the outside, you appear... People as righteous, but on the inside, you are full of hypocrisy and wickedness. Man, this idea that Jesus is all sweet and lovely and cushy. Jesus could be really tough when he looked at people who heard the truth and just bristled. Said, I'm too good for that. Before you can be saved, you've got to know you're lost. Before you can be healed, you've got to know you're broken. And that's what Jesus gets upset about. Stop acting like you're more than you are. Stop pretending like everybody else is messed up, but somehow you're above that. Baloney. Just because we're here doesn't mean we're whole. Only Christ accomplishes that. That's what the gospel is all about. And he was direct. (laughs) And maybe we need to be a little more direct. We're so worried in this age and culture of not offending anybody. I'm not saying to try to purposefully offend everybody. We all want to be liked, right? I, I know. But there's no way around the truth. God hates sin because sin separates. Separates people from one another. Separates us from God. Separates us from our health. Separates us from opportunities God wants us to have. Separates us from blessings that he intended for us to enjoy. God hates sin because it separates, guys. And we can't coddle sin. We can't pretend like it's okay. Because it's not. So somehow, by the grace of God, we've got to love one another but not be wishy-washy about the truth because it is not love to hide the truth from somebody when they desperately need to hear it because if you're headed toward a cliff, it doesn't do any good to say, please hit the gas instead of the brake. It'll be okay. No, it won't. It won't be okay. (laughs) Last one, and then I'm done, guys. There's a sacrificial respect um, look at verse fifty-four of Acts chapter seven. When they heard this, you guys, you're stiff neck. When they heard this, they were furious and gnashed their teeth at him. In other words, they were ticked off. Put it in modern language. It's like, you anger filled the But notice verse fifty-five. Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven, saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. That's what Stephen saw. But I want you to see their point of view. Man, he's just telling the truth. He's just looking at Christ. They're not responding. They're mad because they don't want to deal with their sin. And he's in the way because he's exposing their sin. Verse 57, as they covered their ears, yelling at the top of their voices, they rushed at him, they all rushed at him, dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul. While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. The, this particular verb is, is a verb in the present tense, which means he's saying this over and over again. Father, forgive them. <laughs> Lord, forgive them. Do not hold this sin against them. It's almost like every time he's hit with a stone... He's saying, forgive them. Don't hold this against them. And of course, he's looking at the Lord. The Lord who said something very similar. That same truth of this is not about the pain inflicted upon me. This is about the sacrifice of Jesus. And the forgiveness that is available. But it requires honesty. Requires not having that hard heart. Requires being willing to say, Okay, God, I'm coming clean. Forgive me. Enter my life. And then he said, as he closes up, he says, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. He's saying, Lord, don't charge them with this sin. And it says, and when he, he said this, that he fell sleep. Stephen had a man he had a short he had a short ministry. He didn't have a theological degree. He wasn't an apostle, he, he wasn't a prophet. It, you know, he didn't have all these important labels. But what he did have was a real walk with Christ. He had it might have seemed like a short walk one sermon, but it was a very influential walk. As he preached, you know, you say, Well, how can can you say that, uh, preacher? How can you say that uh, the guy got stung to death? What influence did he have? Well, there was a young guy standing there watching him named Saul. He couldn't escape the gospel this time, he heard the gospel. He was mad at those who delivered the gospel, but this time he heard the gospel. And he was off on the road. We know that as he was walking on the road, he was blinded and he fell down and he said, Lord, Lord, who are you? He heard that voice say, why are you persecuting me, Saul? His name was changed, you know, it was Paul. As he became the biggest enemy to the church of Jesus Christ and became, uh, you know, as I like to say, the Baptist superhero. You know? I mean, Paul's this missionary figure uh, of great power and, and, and prominence. But do you know what the word Paul means? It means little. Stephen had this impact with this guy who was studied under the greatest of the Pharisees. He was a Pharisee, a Pharisee. He was the most religious of all. And he was the big shot in the religious community. He had it all together in that way. But yet the power of the gospel became clear to him. And it changed him. He went from big shot to little. And let me tell you, that is always the story of the power of the gospel. It's always about me, always about me, always about how good I am. and Whether I want to tell you that or not, that's what I'm thinking. But you know what happens? Suddenly we come face to face with our true condition of sin and we understand I'm little. But my great God is so big and His love is so vast. And if I will simply place my trust and belief upon the depth of that great love that was accomplished on the cross by becoming little... I become part of the big, big family of God and find the big, big forgiveness that is available <coughs> in him. Let's pray. Uh, God, free us from religion. Father, from being... <coughs> oh, Father, just so paralyzed by following rules, worried about how we blow it. God, I pray that the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ would, Father, be clear that we would be willing to become little and let your bigness invade our lives to provide with us new life and new forgiveness. Father, maybe for someone here who has not become little yet. Has not said, Lord, I know I'm a sinner. Forgive me. Enter my life, Lord, that I may be made new. And what a great day for that to happen. Anyone in that condition, just be honest before God. God, forgive me. I'm a sinner. Make me new, Lord. You paid for my sin. I, 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 won't, I want that forgiveness. He, he will do that if you just honestly... Receive his gift of eternal life. And just bow yourself. Stop being stiff-necked. <laughs> he, will, he will honor. Maybe there's others of us. At one time we receive that gift. but we've become hardened. Not really open to you. But you know what? His mercies are new every morning. God your mercies are always new. May we receive those mercies. If we've become close to you. Open our hearts Lord. What a great time to come to the altar with that, Lord. You start, you chance. Anyway, God, we we present all that to you, Lord. Do a work among us in this time, in Christ's name. We pray. Amen. Let's stand together.